Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. Good to be with you tonight. Uh, RUF is a Christian ministry at UConn. We believe in grace and we preach grace, which is that God relates to us not on the basis of what we do that's good or even bad, but on our standing with Jesus, uh, who is freely offered to us as our substitute. And so what that means is that Uh, No one is so good that they, we believe no one is so good that they're beyond the need of God's grace. We also believe that no one is so bad that they're beyond the reach of God's grace. And so that's what this community is about, and I'm glad you're here. And each week uh, we read and learn about God's grace in the Bible, and this semester we're going through this series on this short letter in the New Testament called Philippians. And Philippians is a letter that Paul wrote, uh, the Apostle Paul, St. Paul, to a church that he started in Greece. And he writes from prison in Rome. And we're calling this series Joy in a World Gone Flat. Uh, Because Paul, surprisingly, talks a lot about, as he writes from prison, talks a lot about joy and finding joy in life. Uh, which is something I think we all need and Yukon needs. And so that's why we're looking at it. And so uh, just to give background before we look at this text, uh, Paul, we, last week especially, we looked at Paul's love for the Philippians. And we looked at this idea of how he's imprisoned and he's facing death. And he's, last week we looked at this thing where he's like, Am I, gonna, I might die. I'm not sure. I'm okay with that. But I may see you again. And I may not, but, and this is where we get to this passage tonight, he says, like, whether I see you or, like, if I see you, this is how I want to see you living. This is when I want to hear about you living, which is an important thing to know. Like, this is where, if you were reading this letter, you would, like, lean in. You'd be like, okay, he's about to say what life is all, how to live. Uh, What he's expecting to see out of this, like, it's this question of, like, I'm a Christian, now what? Uh, or maybe you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, which is okay too, and I'm glad you're here. But the question would be, you know, what is being a Christian, living like a Christian, all about? And that's what we're going to look at tonight. And so let me read from just these short verses, this four verses from Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 27. It says this. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Uh, Let me pray again. 
Oh God, as we come now to your word, we pray that you would guide us. We pray that you would make sense of it to us and that you would apply it to our hearts and make us different. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, anybody watch the State of the Union this week? A few, yeah, a few. Surpri- I'm good, great. Um, yeah, State of the Union, I don't know, maybe some of you are worn out on political discourse these days. It's pretty tiring. And one of the things that's tiring, I think, about political discourse today is that uh, sides go back and forth on, and they kind of like use what it means to be an American to push their political agendas. I think both sides do this, all sides do this. And there's a lot of talk about what it means to be American and what America is about. And so it plays into all these debates that go on on things like immigration. You know, America was founded as a place for immigrants and this is what America is about, inclusion. But other people say, well, it's about opportunity. America is about liberty. And you can use all these terms for both sides of these issues. Uh, America is about freedom. And there's all these people saying to be an American citizen should mean that you value X. You know, you value X, Y, and Z. Uh, to be an American citizen means to live a certain way. And here in talking to Christians in Philippi, this colony in Greece, Paul tells them to let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And if you were to translate it literally from Greek, he actually says, behave as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ which is noteworthy, because Philippi was a Roman colony. And it was a special colony because it was relatively new, and when they established the colony, they put a bunch of like military people there, ex-military, uh, to kind of help get the colony going. And uh, to be a citizen in Rome was a big deal. The only way you could become a citizen was either to be like born into it, like your dad was a citizen, or you would like do something really special like fight in the army and like thereby gain citizenship and so being a citizen was a big deal this colony has a lot of like army people so they citizenship was a big deal to them and to this group of people paul says christians are first and foremost citizens of the gospel of christ we talk a lot about the gospel here at RUF, and the gospel, in a nutshell, is that is this good news that's proclaimed in the Bible, in God's word, that says, uh, though we had run away from God, though we are people who deserve God's wrath for messing up his world, that God is actually gracious and merciful, and that God pursues his people in love, and that God has actually entered into our world now in the, as Jesus Christ to save, and he's accomplished salvation. He's, his life substitutes for ours. We can be free. It's this glorious gospel, and it is a big deal. What Paul's trying to get across here is it's a big deal to be a citizen of the gospel. And it should shape the ways we live in profound ways. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. How should being a citizen of the gospel shape us? What is a life worthy of the gospel? And we're going to see three things in this short passage. We're going to see uh, that it should bring about a commitment to community. It should make us free of fear. 
And finally, it should give us a willingness to suffer. So three things. First of all, a commitment to community. Uh, we see it at the end of verse 27, the second half of that verse. It says, standing firm in one spirit, with one mind. Remember, he's writing to a church, a group of people, uh, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. It's a way of saying the Christian life was never meant to be alone. I hope you hear us say that at RUF a lot. Like, we want to be a community because the Christian life was not meant to be lived alone. And the gospel brings us together because it tells a story that's common to all. If we're Christians, then we all, the gospel story is our story. It's unique to us. Uh, several years ago, there was a young woman who attended RUF, and she was in a wheelchair. And I got to know her. She had one of those electronic wheelchairs, and uh, she had a really amazing story as I got to know her. Uh, when she was a kid, little kid, she uh, contracted a disease called, somehow got this disease called Rasmussen's encephalitis. And it created all this swelling in one side of her brain. It caused seizures, a really awful condition to have. And there's one way to cure it, to treat it, so that you can continue to live. And that is to remove that whole side of your brain in an operation called a hemispherectomy. And so this student only had half of a brain. And that's why you know, she could walk, but walking was difficult for her. And, you know, it, obviously it affects some other things to only have half of a brain. But it's amazing how one side of the brain can compensate. Uh, one interesting thing was that she has no memory of the time before the operation. So she was nine years old when it happened. Can't remember anything older than that. And uh, has a lot of struggles, but also is amazing. It has now graduated college and uh, anyway, she was, I was asking her, I was just fascinated by her story, and she was telling me that once a year, maybe, or once every two years or so, she goes to these gatherings of people who have had hemispherectomy. So it's like this community of people that all only have half a brain. She just like lit up. And as you can imagine, talking about it, like how amazing would that be you know, you have this rare disease, you have this unique story, and you get plunged into, like, a room full of people that get you. And they don't, it's, they understand exactly your story, what you've been through, uh, where you're headed. What's our story? As Christians, if you're a Christian, what's, our story is that we were doomed, right? We were wallowing in guilt. We were plugging away at life in unsatisfying ways. We were lost. Uh, we were too guilty to even approach God. And so he pursued us in love. Jesus saved us. We've been set free. It's amazing. But in the gospel, that's not just, we don't just share a common story, but that story also sets us on a common mission together. I'm a big Harry Potter fan. Any Harry Potter? I know some people hate Harry Potter here but uh, many love it as well. Um, yeah, great books, right? Great stories. And you know, think, I want you to think about Harry Potter and his friends, like Hermione and Ron and you know, all the, the crew and um, Dumbledore's army and whatnot. And you know, those characters get plunged into this world, into this rescue operation that they're part of. 
And they don't, like, they're not forced into it, right? Like, they kind of save the world, but they're not forced into it. Like, they're not, like, no one forces them to go find horcruxes and learn how to fight evil and stuff. But the reality is they can't resist it. They have all this information that, like, no one else has. So for them, they, ha- they bear all this responsibility, and they're like, yes, like, we're going to pursue these things. We're going to save the world, ultimately. Their response to what they come to know is to go on this mission. And that's exactly what the church is meant to be like. That's what RUF, we want RUF to be like, right? We share a story, and that sets us on a mission. Um, so a mission to reach the lost, to bring outsiders in. Uh, so you need community. You need Christian community. If Harry Potter and Hermione and Ron were just like living their life alone, those books would be really boring, and dump, uh, Voldemort would be like ruling the wizarding world right now. Okay? But uh, you need... Okay, so we need to be on this mission... Uh, but we need each other because we build each other up. We need each other because we encourage each other. We need each other. We need, we need to be working with others because it's tiring a lot of the time. Uh, it's hard to believe a lot of the time. So I want to ask you, are you getting to know people in RUF, outside of RUF? Are you sharing your life? Are you in a Bible study? Are you meeting up for a meal? Are you thinking, you know, who can we bring in? Because the Christian life was not meant to be alone, okay? And one of the reasons it was not meant to be lived alone is because there's a lot that's hard about it. And that's what we're going to get into now. Because he starts to talk about fear. Uh, In verse 28, he says, Not frightened in anything by your opponents. Uh, This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. Okay? What's the assumption there? There's going to be opposition to this. And this is coming from Paul. Paul and the Philippians would already know this because when you know what happened when Paul actually first visited them? He got beaten and jailed. And he miraculously escaped from that jail and now he's in another jail. Uh, so he gets they all get that there's opposition and lots of Christians today face intense opposition. Like last I think last week I mentioned that uh, there's churches in China that are facing intense opposition from the government there. Uh, people's credit cards getting seized, people being jailed, all this stuff. Uh, if you were to go on YouTube, you could watch videos of ISIS beheading Christians in Egypt. But none of us are probably afraid of that stuff here, right? Like, that's not stuff we're currently, you know, who knows what this world will bring in the next 50 years, but for now, we're not worried about it, but I want us to think about two, a couple kinds of opposition that we do, that do cause us fear. Uh, the first one is that there will be people who don't like Christians, or don't respond well to the gospel, or at minimum find us and our faith to be weird, right? Ever. It's a reality in many of our lives, right? Uh, and the second type of opposition that we do face is that there will be forces at work in the universe that oppose Christians as well. So like cultural kind of trends, ways the world is going uh, that make us have FOMO. You guys know what FOMO is? Fear of missing out. It's big, right? And it's a big opposition to the gospel because it's like, well, I'm supposed to live 
this way, but I feel like I'm missing out on this big thing that everyone else seems to get, right? Like everyone is experiencing this pleasurable thing and what if I'm missing it? Or everyone's ex ex experiencing this like security or this wealth or whatever it is. And I'm worried that if I keep following Jesus, I might miss out big time. I might lose friends. I might miss experiences. And so those are two avenues where we like feel actual, like it's a little scary to live out the Christian life. And in the face of opposition, Paul says, don't be frightened because the gospel is true. Like the gospel, Jesus did come. This is real. I'm living proof that it's true. But secondly, don't be frightened because a lack of fear is actually a profound way to proclaim the gospel, to show where our citizen, citizenship is. Uh, he talks about like opponents, uh, when they see our lack of fear, uh, you know, it will actually force them to evaluate where they stand. He talks about judgment in this passage. And it's this way of saying, like, if I face opposition unafraid, it will make opponents of the gospel stop and be like, wait a minute. Maybe I need to reevaluate my whole life. Because I've never met a person like this before who faces opposition unafraid. Uh, so one of the most profound ways to show Jesus to people is really to live without fear. Uh, so if you're a Christian here tonight, are there people in your life that you avoid letting in on your faith? And the main reason is because you're worried about how they'll respond. Paul's inviting you to step out and not be frightened because the gospel's true because Christians are eternal citizens of the gospel. Don't know what's going on over there. But. Sounds fun. Okay, so, um, you know, we saw a commitment to community, and we saw uh, freedom from fear, and finally what we see in this short passage is a willingness to suffer. Uh, in verse 29, Paul says something totally amazing. He says, it's been granted to you to believe and also suffer. This is the most countercultural thing in this letter so far. It's, it's his way of saying suffering can be a gift. And specifically, suffering for the sake of Christ. Think about that. Paul's inviting Christians to join him in what he's, going, what he's got going on currently, which is suffering for the sake of Christ. Now, how could suffering for the sake of Christ be a gift? Think about that. How could suffering for the sake of Christ be a gift? The answer is because nothing confirms your standing like enduring suffering. Some of you guys know I've got two little kids at home. So in the last five years, I've kind of been in baby mode and... Uh, been there for both of the births of my children. Second time around, I almost passed out. Uh, but I don't know if anyone's been there for like a childbirth, but it's crazy, right? Like, women, if you give birth, like, <laughs> you will suffer, okay? Like, they call it labor because it's really hard. And like, 
Bringing a child into the world is excruciating, if you didn't know that already. Um, and, you know, like, so the moms do, like, 99% of it, but then, like, there's this sleep deprivation that you enter into for the first weeks of your kid's life that the dads also participate in. And so it's hard, kind of hard for dads, too, but nothing compared to the moms. Uh, but, you know, when you talk about giving birth with moms who have done it, they'll all tell you how painful it is, but they won't, you know, what they don't, what Maggie doesn't want, what I think most moms don't want, like, is to just, like, have a child plopped into their lap, but, like, it was suffering. They don't want to go suffer again, but there's something about the suffering that really locks in the relationship. Like, I brought you into this world through suffering, uh, like, we, ra- we raised you through hard times. And for that reason, like, I'm not going to walk away when things get hard because it was already so hard. Like, the hardness, like, nothing was harder than pushing a baby out. Okay? Suffering for the sake of Christ will lock you in, too, in glorious ways. If you've suffered and you've endured for Christ's sake, like, joy will abound. It's wonderful. And that's why suffering can be a gift, because it locks you in. That's why Paul can write with joy from prison, because he now knows this is real, and it's amazing, and everyone needs to hear about it. How might God be calling you to suffer? for the sake of Christ. Maybe it's loving people around you in costly ways, right? You guys know it's costly to love, right? It costs time when we don't feel like we have time. It costs energy when we don't feel like we have energy. It costs awkwardness, which we all avoid like the plague, right? It costs, or, you know, maybe it's foregoing pleasure and security for the sake of obedience to Christ. Maybe it's that missing out on stuff that everyone else seems to be getting just for the sake of following Jesus. Or maybe it's choosing the career path that's not as glamorous or not as lucrative or not as comfortable because that's the way God's calling you to advance his kingdom. Okay, so how can you do it? How can you suffer? How can you not fear? You can do it because Jesus entered into the darkest pit of suffering imaginable so that he could have you. If you're a Christian, that means Jesus is locked into you through suffering. If Jesus was willing to become a man and die to have you, do you think he's going to bail on you now? You think he doesn't know what pain you're going through now. You think he doesn't have a purpose for your life now, even if you don't see what it is. Jesus is locked in on you. He's already shed his blood for you. He has already endured hell for you. And if that's true, there's only one thing left to do, which is live as a citizen of the gospel. Be prepared to stand firm. Be prepared to suffer. And join together on this mission that Paul's on. And that's what RUF is about. And so let me pray for us now that that work would be going on in this group. Let's pray.
Uh, Heavenly Father, we uh, are in need of grace to live out this life that you call us to, a life of citizenship in the gospel, uh, being transformed by grace, uh, by your love, Lord. We pray that you would equip us for that. And I pray for this group that you would knit us together, uh, that you would cause us to step out more, uh, to uh, draw others in more, uh, to experience this grace as well, and that you would uh, ultimately make us more like Paul, who is more like Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.